Welcome to Kidney Commute, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation, driven by the interprofessional team with emphasis on the patient voice. In each episode, we will incorporate the perspectives of the different members of the kidney team as well as the patient. Join our huddle on all things kidney health and allow new perspectives to inspire collaboration in your practice. Eligible listeners can earn credit along the way. The Kidney Commute, a continuing education podcast planned by the team for the team. Welcome to The Kidney Commute, an interprofessional NKF podcast. My name is Dory Minch and I have no relevant disclosures. I will be the host of today's discussion on the importance and value of setting goals to address social isolation, home hemo, goals that are patient-centered, and independence. With me is an esteemed panel that I would like to have introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Beth Tabor-Height. I'm a nephrologist at Indiana University, and I have no relevant disclosures. Yes, my name is Gail Timberos, and I am a dietitian at the Mayo Clinic, and I have been working with the dialysis population in the outpatient in center for quite a few years, and I do not have any disclosures. My name is Ken Weiland. I'm a, um, the director of the School of Nutritional Sciences and Wellness at the University of Arizona, and I have no relevant disclosures. My name is Sloan Mosley. I'm a social worker at Wake Forest Baptist um, Transplant, and I work on the post-transplant team, and I have no relevant disclosures. I am Sue George, and I am a patient of 25 years with the Dialysis Center of Lincoln, and I have no relevant disclosures. Hi, thank you all so much for coming today. I'm, I'm so excited to get this started. So let's start with you. As we kick off the new year, can you talk with us the importance of setting goals for, you know, maybe both ourselves and for patients? Yeah, sure. Setting goals is important for, like you said, both uh, patients and ourselves. It actually um, helps me to focus on what I need to do throughout the year. It also gives me motivation and holds me accountable to what needs to happen. So I set the goal, I write down the things that need to happen in order to achieve the goal. And then um, all of that motivates me to complete the goal. So just setting me up for success, not just saying I'm going to do something, but actually intentionally saying I'm going to do it, writing down what needs to happen and actually following through. And, and those are certainly steps that all of our patients can take to achieve their goals. Sue, in your experience, have you started the year or at any point in time with goals or had a similar experience to Sloan? Yes, um, I have set goals for my health with dialysis because it just helps me grow as a patient and know what I need to take care of. Um, my dialysis center has goal settings that we have to look at every year so that we know what is our focus for that year for us as a patient. Thanks, Sue. I know you mentioned that the goal setting helped you to achieve your goals. Do you have a specific example of how maybe you outline that and, and it proved to be successful for you? Um, yes, one of my goals was working with my labs to obtain a good phosphorus level, which one of my goal settings was to watch how much food I was taking in that had potassium in it and to lower that amount. So that was a good goal setting for me. That's awesome. Ken, I know that the new year often brings resolutions regarding beginning exercise programs. What guidance or advice would you have surrounding these goals? 
And what about, you know, specifically related to people with chronic kidney disease? The, the main thing I like to talk to patients about when they're considering starting a physical activity program of any sort and setting goals around that is really focus on, focus on trying to find ways just to move more. Um, there's specific types of activities that people do, I think, um, are often not as important as just making sure that you're doing something and doing something consistently. Um, so, you know, how do you really do this? Was it a good thing to focus on? I like to talk to people about trying to remember that exercise is supposed to be fun. I mean, you can set all the goals that you want, but if you're not doing activities that you either enjoy or know that you're going to get some benefit from, or at least perceive that you might get some benefit from, it's going to be very difficult to sustain those activities. Um, so choosing things that are, you know, pretty practical and then activities that you enjoy is really important. And so is variety, just recognizing that you're not going to stick to doing the same thing every day variety and in, in everything in life is always good. But the most important thing I like to talk to um, patients about, especially individuals with CKD that have uh, oftentimes have some physical limitations and maybe haven't exercised a lot, is the need to start slow with whatever you're doing. Just, just get moving a little bit on the first day and, and progress over time very slowly, much slower than you think you might have to. And this is really going to help avoid soreness and things like that that will prevent you from sustaining the activities. Thank you, Ken, for that. I know um, I, I joke at work, I got a desk treadmill for work, and everybody's now asking how many steps I get in per day. And so, you know, that, that's a goal that you set. It's actually, by talking about it, has actually, I think, helped some other people to set some goals and, and talk to different patients about it. Gail, from a dietary perspective, what recommendations do you have for providers in encouraging improved dietary intake? I know Sue mentioned how goals, setting goals helped her achieve her outcome. Uh, what recommendations do you have for us as providers to help patients set those goals? The diet has really changed. You know, we've made a lot of changes as far as before it used to be that you should not eat whole grains, you should not um, eat fruits or vegetables because of your potassium. And right now, we are trying to sh show and let people know that, you know, everything in moderation is good. Um, no longer restricting those fruits and vegetables because those are so, so important in our life. You know, if they have a high potassium, we're certainly going to look at other sources of why there might be a high potassium and still allowing them to have the fruits and vegetables if possible. Another thing is just looking at more of a plant-based approach to their diet. Um, just because that's going to help them with their potassium, but as well as um, as well as their phosphorus, because of the phosphorus additives in their meats and processed foods. So really trying to put them in a mindset of just trying to expand their diet a little bit more. Thanks, Gail. When encouraging goals, what recommendations do you have for chronic kidney disease providers to share with patients regarding home modalities, um, PD, home hemo? different things like that. What are your suggestions? Thank you. So um, first, I want to say, I want to congratulate Sue on setting such an excellent goal. I think phosphorus, um, especially is something patients really are challenged by. It's in everything. It's very hard to avoid phosphorus. Um, and I know I focus on it a lot with a lot of my patients. So as far as, you know, setting goals and talking about um, how we as providers can talk about home chemo and, and home modalities with our patients, I think one thing is, 
definitely setting a goal as to identifying patients that we think would do well with home modalities. And I think we all have a kind of general idea, people who are active, people who still work, tend to do really well with home modalities, but there are patients that are older, that are home by, home bound, that actually do also do really well with home. And home hemo, I think, can be really intimidating for people just because, you know, one, it's it's a therapy that requires uh, blood access. The access really freaks people out, I think, at times. So one thing I try to do is when I talk to my patients about it, I set it up both as, you know, you can do hemodialysis in center, you can do it out in at, at your home. Um, but really, what can you achieve? What can you uh, attain? And I try to demystify it for patients and really show them, if I can show them an example of a patient. When we talk about PD, I think it's an easier sell sometimes because of the lack of blood that's that's happening there and the fact that they can do it at night when they're sleeping. Um, that's a real selling point. Um, but in general, I try to to look and see what it, who in my patient population would really benefit from it. I also do early education. So, you know, once they hit that GFR around 20, you know, not only are we working towards transplant, but we should really start thinking about types of dialytic therapies and what our patients can uh, do best with. I try to really hone in on home for every patient that I can. There's really very few that I would say there's absolutely a contraindication to do in home. So we should definitely try to encourage as we can, but always take patient preference into, into, um, into those thoughts. And then the other thing too is, you know, I also like to t- discuss the family impact of, of home modalities. So while home dialysis really is done by our patients, a lot of times their family and their structure of their home is going to be altered as well. So just keeping those in mind when we're talking about things, yes, our patients will have more freedom, but are we going to overburden our, our families as well? So those are kind of things that I discuss. So I think early intervention as best we can. Um, really focusing on on what our patients want and listening to them uh, intently as as we can. Um, those would be the things that I would really bring to those home discussions. Thank you, Beth. And I certainly applaud the early education that you work to provide. I think so many of our patients that come from an in-center environment, the only experience they have with any home modality is somebody that's returned from home to the in-center environment. And that often happens because home a home modality was not something that was good for them. And so our in-center patients often hear negative things about home modalities because they're not hearing the great things because all of those patients are at home. So, you know, that early education and, and helping people to understand what that is before sometimes they get the, the jaded version for people that had negative experiences really improves those outcomes and referrals to home modalities. And I also um, tell my patients, you know, that nothing is set in stone. So if they want to try home uh, and see how it goes, and if it's not something that's really uh, working well for them, we can always talk about transitioning to in-center. But um, I'd like to remind them about this is a flexible choice. It's, it's nothing is absolutely have to do it all the time. And I think that's the other freeing thing that people know that they don't have just one choice. Um, similar to, you know, binders, there's not a one size fit all. So Gail, how would engaging in home hemo promote dietary goals in our ESRD population? For a patient going through home hemo, you have a little bit more control over your own care. You're able to be a little bit more liberal in your diet, and that is sometimes very enticing for a patient. They are not having to watch their fluid as tightly, and they also are able to 
um, have a little bit more potassium in the diet, which is really um, a benefit. And so how do you feel that goal setting can positively impact independence? Are there any aspects that we see that more than others in life? Goal setting is important in every stage of our life and works in all aspects of our life. If we set goals at work, then we could have improved job satisfaction. If we set goals for our health, just like Gail mentioned, setting the goal to improve her phosphorus, then she her labs are improved and she ultimately could feel better. Thank you, Sloan, for that. And I, I think it's important, like you said, that it does impact all aspects. You know, we are talking about this as providers, how we can encourage patients to set goals for themselves, but we're the model for those goals. So all the education that we provide and, uh, you know, talking to patients about goal setting can remind them that these goals can be universal in their life. And Beth, when you're working with your CKD patients, do you see a difference in patients that exhibit more independence? I know working in transplant, there's that balance between independence and dependence. And, and I often tell my patients, you got to be a little bit dependent to become independent. And I, I sometimes can see a difference in that, but, you know, in your experience, do you see improved outcomes or changes in outcomes for those that are more independent? And, and what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that when we are looking at patients who are more independent, who can do things for themselves, and a lot of times those are home dialysis patients, they do tend to have better outcomes. I think they're happier. They seem to have feel more fulfilled in their lives. And I definitely think it's easier to get patients to transplant when they are a little bit more independent. To some extent, you know, your transplant journey falls on the patient because there are aspects of you know, getting things scheduled, getting things done so they can get to that transplantation point that does require some amount of independence. And then from a dialysis standpoint, well, I think it is easy to show up and do, you know, in-center chemo, there is some aspects of being very dependent on others for your care. And while it does free up maybe times in other aspects of your life, because you don't have to stress about your dialysis, I think it also can negatively impact people's socialization. It can also impact mental health. So independence really allows for that additional freedom. Um, as Gail was talking about, that other portion of the independence of home dialysis includes liberalization of your diet and your fluid intake and feeling overall better because you are getting that daily dialysis, which you're not getting if you're doing more of an in-center dialysis. So I think overall, yes, um, the patients that are more independent definitely do, do better, succeed further, hopefully get transplanted. Our goal is for everyone to get transplanted as often as we possibly can. But for sure, we've got to be realistic with some of those goals. So I definitely think independence is a big, uh, a big predictor of outcomes in our patients. And I think, you know, to what you're saying, there's a difference between independence and asking for help. So independence isn't that you have to do everything. And I think sometimes our patients, you know, think that when we talk about independence, that that they're then responsible for doing everything on their own and not asking for help. But independence is knowing who and where and how to ask for help. And I think that, especially in the transplant world, when we talk about independence, patients can often be concerned to ask for help because they don't want to appear dependent or requiring assistance and, you know, be seen negatively by the provider. Do you experience that at all? 
Oh, for sure. I think I, and I, I definitely encourage my patients, if, even if it's small stuff and including my advanced CKD patients and even my patients with very mild CKD, I tell them just call, just send me a message. Let us know if there's, if you have a concern. That's what we're here for. We're here to help guide you on your journey. You know, we want to, we want to see you succeed in whatever way we can. So for sure, I agree that independent doesn't mean you have to do it all by yourself. It just means you can't, you can do things by yourself and you can also identify when you need that extra layer of support. And that's what this team is for. We are here to support you in your kidney journey, to help you have the best outcome possible, to guide you and to support your mental health and, and you know, make this as painless a process as possible. No one wants to, to be considered ill. No one wants to have their health impacted. But at the end of the day, our goal is to help this go as smoothly as possible and help you avoid those big pitfalls. So for sure, I think independence is not only doing it yourself, but knowing when to ask those questions and know that there's no stupid question where we're all here for to answer whatever questions people may have. So yes, for sure. I think that's a, that's a good point. Thank you, Beth. I know every day is one day further away from, from COVID-19 where we were all so sort of enmeshed in social isolation. And, and I think coming out of that pandemic, I know the transplant world, I think even in our dialysis world, some, some patients are still afraid to, to go out in public and, and are still isolating themselves socially. I think even people that feel more comfortable wearing a mask to protect themselves sometimes feel a bit isolated because other people around them don't know, are, are you sick? Are you protecting yourself? And are afraid to ask the question. So Sloan, what can you share with us from a psychosocial perspective about concerns that we need to look out for in social isolation? And, and when is it a concern and when is it a protective factor for our patients? So I think that, you know, certainly social isolation can in, increase symptoms of depression and anxiety in our patients. And we just need to be aware when I, or pay attention to when our patients are um, having those symptoms and asking specific questions, just trying to see on how they're feeling. It isn't just, you know, set to COVID, but also like you were saying, like our patients are wearing masks or some patients wear masks and some don't. And maybe just allowing them or letting them know that it's okay for them to wear the mask if they choose, but there are other patients who, and other staff who may not choose to do that, but that doesn't isolate them and make them feel we try not to make them feel bad about using that as a choice. Thank you. And can, you know, certainly um, social isolation can negatively impact activity goals. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But also for people that do feel more comfortable staying at home, how can our patient population achieve activity goals while feeling safe in, you know, some potential isolation? Some of the things that I um, express or talk to my patients about is just if it's walking around the neighborhood, just to get out um, from being home alone, um, walk into the or going to sit outside on the porch, um, just things that they can do where they may interact with other people, but maybe at a safe distance or in a way that makes them feel comfortable picking up the phone, calling a friend, those kind of things. Yeah, I, I think it's a really important question for a variety of reasons, but in particular because those who are socially isolated, as, as you mentioned, um, often have anxieties or some level of depression, which of course can adversely impact their motivation to maintain a healthy lifestyle, including being more physically active. 
I think I want to answer this question um, by providing a couple of personal anecdotes uh, as examples. I think will be at least somewhat relevant. The, fir the first one I'll, I'll share is experience I had in trying to actually train for my, my first marathon about 15 or 20 years ago. And I know that's not necessarily the, a goal a lot of people have, but I think the, the lesson will be the same. So I, I, I like telling stories. I, I, um, I think it's got a lot of, um, there's a lot of importance in it. Um, you can draw from it, but I, I just moved to Champaign, Illinois, the University of Illinois about 15 years ago or so. And I didn't have any close friends in town. And I had this great idea. I was, I was pretty socially isolated myself. And at the time, I, I, I decided I wanted to train for a marathon, and I'd never done this before. And um, it's a lot of work, and it's it's a lot of boring, lonely miles on a road that you know by myself. That um, really ended up being the training runs I was doing were really the worst part of my day. Um, I barely needed. I did what I kind of was trying to do. I barely completed the, the training program. I, I ended up not even completing the race. It just was didn't do enough to benefit enough to, to be trained well enough to do the race. But as, as um, after that experience, I ended up over time meeting some more people in different running groups, started training with them. And I was doing the exact, the important thing is I was doing the exact same kinds of training that I was doing for the first race that failed. But I was, and it went from literally being the worst part of my day to being the best part of my day because I had other people to work out with and to share this experience with and to enjoy the benefits of exercise. In my last response, I talked about how important it is to choose activities you like. Well, exercise is such a social thing and, and most of us are social animals and we're just going to enjoy it more and being socially isolated is, is very difficult to, um, if you are socially isolated, isolated, it's very difficult to maintain activity. So trying to find ways to um, find people to work out with, I think is really important. Another real brief example I'll provide is I, I've been managing an exercise program for older adults for about 10 or 12 years. And we've had dozens of members come through our program that have never been able to sustain an exercise program. But in our program, they, they're, they've often, we've had members now for 20 or 30 years um, that they come for the social aspects of the program. Yeah, the exercise is great, but they're creating, you know, there's friendships that are developing. We have holiday parties, coffee socials. It's, there's also, when you're working in a group, there's an accountability to it that you're, you're exercising a group, you're expected to show up. People, you know, you're looking forward to showing up. And I just think that is, it really helps motivate you to you know, keep moving. It's, it's going to be easier if, there's variety. If you try to plan for some variety and just really trying to look for ways, I like to talk about looking for ways to engineer activity in your life. So don't not thinking of exercise as, you know, prescribed exercise that's, you know, whether it's walking or running or lifting weights, something like that, but trying to find a way to get out and, and walk, you know, whether it's walking to work or going to the grocery store more or, um, you know, if you're taking a bus to work, getting off at a stop that's not the terminal stop where you need to be, just looking for excuses to become more active as opposed to thinking about exercise as a um, as, as something that is a prescribed activity that you typically associate with exercise, like again, like running or lifting weights or things like that. Engineering activity into our life, you can do it in so many different ways. And I think that's... Uh, that that gets you doing more throughout a day as opposed to having 
a single isolated time of 15 minutes while you're watching TV or doing something alone at home. So I'm gonna throw this one out to the team. So how can we as, as CKD providers begin the new year um, in setting goals? What goals should we establish for ourselves that will impact our practice and improve patient outcomes? And if anybody has a goal that they've already set it and are trying to implement in their own practice, I'd love to hear that. I think one goal that I'm trying to set for, for our practice is one is to start engaging uh, the younger generation of uh, hopeful nephrologists. So one thing we're trying to do is really entice people into nephrology. It's a hard, um, to be a rather intimidating subspecialty for learners. So we're really trying to grab people early and, and see, show them the really exciting parts of nephrology. While, you know, dialysis is not always the most cheery thing, it's great to be able to talk to people about the different types of modalities and what's going on and, and exciting things that are happening in the kidney world. We have so much good research that's happening and so many new drugs that can impact people's lives. I think the other thing, you know, again, kind of circling back to home dialysis, again, one thing that I encourage is that early communication, but also just making sure that you're setting realistic goals for your patients. So, so helping them find those tiny little goals. Is it just fixing your phosphorus? Is it increasing your exercise? Is it lowering your salt intake? And I try to focus on one thing that I feel like can positively impact my patient's life every single time. And I'm trying to do less that blanket statement of low salt diet, watch your potassium, watch your fluid, and really honing in on what my patient needs to hear. What is it that I think I can really add to their care that will maximally benefit them? And then the next time, you know, we can revisit that goal and see, is there something else now, you know, now that you've achieved, you know, the weight loss that you want to achieve. Now let's work on increasing your physical activity or now that you've achieved a low salt diet, let's talk about focusing on more of a plant-based diet. Um, so I think setting those small goals with your patients, um, documenting it so that you remember those. Patients always enjoy when you can bring up a little tidbit. I try to throw those into my notes. So, you know, whatever we talked about last time, can we can continue that conversation. So those would be kind of my recommendations and what I'm working on for myself as well. Thank you, Beth. What about you, Ken? Yeah, um, a couple things. One, um, you know, it's cliche, but I think it's really important that we do whatever we can to practice what we preach to make sure that the things we're talking to our patients about are, are things that we are um, trying to do for ourselves as well. And, you know, it, it really helps if, if because everybody struggles um, with, with, you know, healthy lifestyle behaviors, whether it's better nutrition or exercise or what have you. And, but going through and, and recognizing that, um, you know, if we're asking our patients to do things that we're not willing to do ourselves, it's more likely to fall on deaf ears because it, they're, they're going to receive it. They're, they're, they recognize it's not, you know, something more serious about it. We're providing lip service to it um, as opposed to real advice that we believe in if we're not doing it for ourselves. One thing we've done, and um, we kind of piloted uh, this in, in one of the couple of clinics I've worked in, a couple of dialysis clinics, is uh, developing a workplace wellness program um, for the clinic staff. And that was something that was really good because it not only helped the, the staff uh, be more healthy and be more, more mindful of their health, but it allowed them the opportunity to talk to the patients in the clinic. Uh, about the struggles they were having. So they had a common, um, you know, some common things to talk about because of this program. And it really, I think, it, again, it benefited the staff, but then it just allowed the staff to talk to the patients more in an honest way about healthy behaviors and why they're so important. Thank you, Ken. Beth, what about you? 
Thank you, Ken. That's, that's really valuable. Uh, what about you, Sue, um, our patient voice? Have you set any goals for yourself this year? Yes. Um, in fact, I have. One of my big goals I am working on this year is um, self-care, making sure my mental state is in a good spot. Because as a patient, it is so easy to just really get down on yourself or to just let everything take over and not keep up with, you know, I am a good person. I've got this. What are my good things that are going on in my life? And so I'm really focusing on instead of saying, oh, I had a bad day. What was bad about it? Was the whole thing bad or was it just one part of it? And I enjoy finding the good things in my day to keep a positive out, outlook on life because when you do, everything seems to be better and it works better for you. Absolutely. Colin, what about you? Absolutely, Sue. I agree 100% with every with what you just said about having one positive thought or trying to think about the positives that happen throughout your day because sometimes you know, our patients um, don't have a lot of positivity. And so I think one of the goals that I would like to establish for myself this year is just making sure that I'm meeting patients where they are and doing more listening um, so, that, so that I am able to better assist them. Thanks, Vaughn. And finally, Gail, did you set any goals for this year? For me, it's it's kind of along the same lines. I'm thinking more along um, the, the same line of just trying to meet where the patient is at, because a lot of times we can speak to the patient and tell them what they need to do, but what are their barriers? What is causing them not to be able to meet the some of the goals that you have set before, um, and where can what can we do to help them reach that? So it's really kind of putting yourself into their perspective and being able to just meet them there and maybe some baby steps like someone mentioned before, just small steps just to try to make one more improvement every month. That's awesome. And so, you know, just to sort of some, some big points that I feel like came out of today, to remember that goal setting can happen at any time. It doesn't just have to start in January. And setting those goals can help us be accountable for that time period. And when you're setting goals regarding exercise, just find ways to move more. Be consistent in doing something. You know, look to in, increase activity in your everyday life. Like Ken said, get off at a bus stop a day early or park further out in the parking lot. And then activity can be achieved even while at home. And us as providers do need to be mindful of signs and symptoms of depression and other emotional health concerns in patients that we feel um, are, are feeling isolated. And then, of course, start those home modality conversations early and very often. And so I just have to say thank you to all of our panel members today for their contributions to this really important discussion. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on this Ride of the Kidney Commute. And remember, eligible audiences can earn CE credit for listening to this episode by clicking the link in the episode description. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please email the team at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. Stay tuned for future huddles, and in the meantime, continue to let new perspective inspire your practice.